There's no prayer more universally important in the Christian tradition than the Our Father. As a chaplain, I prayed this prayer out loud, I don't know how many hundreds of times, with Orthodox Christians, Catholics, Baptists, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, mainline Protestants. Sometimes we would be speaking different languages, either figuratively, sometimes literally, or both. And then in this moment of agreement and understanding, would join hands and each recite this prayer in the language we knew it best. The prayer's been a distinctive marker of Christian identity and faith for as long as there have been Jesus followers. We know that even before the written gospels were broadly circulated, the practice of praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day was already standard among many Christian communities. The prayers present in the earliest documented Christian liturgies and our recitation of the Lord's Prayer every week prior to receiving communion is a continuation of this ancient practice. There's never been a time in Christian history that this prayer wasn't important. In terms of its contents, in terms of what the prayer says, it's a fairly simple, traditional Jewish prayer. What makes it so important in the Christian tradition is not so much the ideas it contains, though of course the ideas it contains are important, but the one who taught it to us, Jesus the one in whom, as we heard in Colossians this morning, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus, who after a fatal collision with empire, God raised from the dead. Jesus, a person uniquely full of divine life, taught us to pray in this way. That's why week after week, we recite an English translation of, I just learned even between the services actually, an English translation of a Latin translation of the New Testament Greek translation of his Aramaic prayer. We pray along with Jesus not only to ask for the things that he asked for, but in hopes of putting on his way of seeing, his way of wanting, his trust in God, his surrender. In his writing about the Lord's Prayer, Catholic theologian James Allison invites us to imagine ourselves in this world as highly malleable, as being stretched between two force fields, two patterns of desire. What the Our Father is doing, he writes, is inducting us into a pattern of desire within which we may be found. We're saying to God, may your pattern of desire be achieved. Your pattern of desire which is a real reality upon which our small reality rests and from which it so often seeks to cut itself off, incapable of perceiving itself as the symptom of so much glory. As we say his prayer, we follow Jesus into the inside of his and God's pattern of desire. And we begin with the words, Our Father. Of the two words in this phrase, Our Father, Father usually garners the most attention, and for good reason. But in spending time with a prayer this week, I found myself struck more so by the hour. Hour. The first step into the prayerful imagination of Jesus. Hour. In saying it, we situate ourselves as creatures among other creatures alive in a web of living things with infinite and intimate connections to all others. When I say, our Father, I acknowledge the rest of creation as my kin. 
I approach God as a person loved and also numbered among countless siblings also loved. And even as the prayer goes on, we find no first person singular. There's no give me my bread or forgive my sins. There isn't even may I do your will or may your kingdom come through me. Just your kingdom come, your will be done. It's in every sense common prayer. It takes as a given that in matters of justice and peace, sustenance and salvation, good and evil, we're in this together. Yet even as Jesus utters this prayer that invokes all of creation, that stretches us out across time and space, he offers it in a body, in a place, in a moment in time. And in doing so, affirms something particular about the God, the Our Father, to whom this prayer is addressed. Through the language of the prayer itself and also in the parables that follow it that we heard this morning, Jesus says to his people, people who we remember were struggling to survive under the exploitative economy of empire, he says to them, God is your friend. God is your family. Trust that God wants to give you, yes, you, my people, what you need to live, not just live, but live abundantly. This is the message, of course, reinforced by the whole of Jesus's ministry in which not enough food becomes more than enough food. The limitations and distortions of life brought on by sickness and domination are eliminated and death itself is reversed. When we pray, thy kingdom come with Jesus, we enter his imagination for what God's reign looks like in his day and also begin to discern what it looks like in ours. Similarly, we pray, deliver us from evil or save us from the time of trial, we heard this morning. Not abstractly, but as disciples of the one who gave us these words, someone whose very body and life the government of his day deemed expendable. One of the more provocative public uses of the Lord's Prayer in the history of our country was in a sacramental protest against the Vietnam War by a group known as the Catonsville Nine. I'm sure many of you perhaps know them or remember this story. In 1968, this group of Catholic priests and lay people raided a selective service office in Catonsville, Maryland, stealing hundreds of draft notices for which there were no duplicates anywhere, and using homemade napalm the formula which our country was using to burn human beings and villages, they set the draft notices on fire in front of the building while reciting the Lord's Prayer. Immediately following the action, Father Daniel Berrigan, one of its leaders, issued a statement. Our apologies, good friends, for the fracture of good order, the burning of paper instead of children. We could not, so help us God, do otherwise. About six months later, at a highly publicized trial, a lot of the country was paying attention to this, the group was found guilty of destruction of US property, destruction of selective service files, and interference with the Selective Service Act of 1967, and each of them was sentenced to two to three years in prison. Nearing the end of the trial, right before the verdict was given, the nine asked if they could stand and lead the courtroom in the Lord's Prayer. And remarkably, seemingly somewhat moved by this group of defendants, the judge agreed. Our Father, who art in heaven, they prayed. 
reproducing in a way the very action for which they were about to be sent to prison. Our Father, the God who loves the people of Vietnam and all the people of the earth, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Deliver us, deliver us, deliver all your people everywhere from the power of evil. We have chosen to be powerless criminals in a time of criminal power, wrote Daniel Berrigan about the group's actions. We have chosen to be branded as peace criminals by war criminals. A way of saying, perhaps, we have tried to walk the way of the one who taught us to pray. As we too pray with Jesus, as we recite his prayer together week after week after week, may his moral imagination for our time in place, Atlanta, Georgia, 2022, so come to occupy our doings, our longings, our priorities, our way of seeing, that we find ourselves doing some unexpected things in his name. May we pray with him to bring him here, to be him here. Amen.